This is the Infatuation Podcast, a show where we get together to talk with people about Asian things that we love. This is Curtis, and on today's episode, we'll be talking with my former student, Kevin, about how he took a hobby and turned it into a multi-million dollar company before he turned 24. everyone welcome back to the pod uh we are having kind of a different episode today uh i was gonna hang out with kevin anyway so i said hey you want to come on the pod and kevin is someone that i wanted to have on the pod because he's done a lot of interesting things and always always good to chat with but we were just supposed to just hang out and catch up but i figured i'll shove a microphone in his face and we'll talk (laughs) for a little bit so hey kevin thanks for coming along yeah it's a it's a pleasure to be here we are old friends from uh back in the day kevin was a student of mine when was that? You were a sophomore, so that was 2008? Yeah, 2008. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So you're a student of mine, AP Bio, and then you graduated and went on to UC San Diego. And well, actually, let's go back. So you're yeah. a student of mine. Uh, you came up to me and said, hey, have you ever heard of freshwater shrimp? Uh-huh. <laughs> and I said, not really. And you said, you know, you said they're pretty easy to grow and you can breed them yeah. and you can sell them. That was, <laughs> that was the thing you were interested in. So how did that start? You just started, got into it and did it in your garage or? Yeah, yeah. I actually don't remember that conversation. So you'll have to like fill in my memory gaps. But um, yeah, I, so a really good friend of mine, uh, he was actually the best man at my wedding. <laughs> Uh, his name is uh, William Ng, and uh, he. I was hanging out with him after Chinese school on a Saturday or Sunday, and um, he brought me. You know, he took me to a fish store, which was Aqua Forest, mm-hmm. and uh, he dropped like two hundred bucks there. <laughs> and you know, we were like fourteen, fifteen at the time, right? <laughs> yeah. So that was like a lot of money. And I was like, dude, what are you doing? And so. He was using stones and driftwood to create these beautiful sceneries of nature. And literally every weekend after Chinese school, we would drop by Aqua Forest and he would drop like 50 bucks. I'm like, like, <laughs> what is this? Like, what are you doing here? So I had like a little dinky plastic fish tank, five gallons at home with goldfish. They died. So <laughs> it's like, oh, and so he gave me all the stuff and said, hey, Kevin, like, why don't you like use this and like try it out? I used it. I tried it out. I bought some guppies. Um, and, uh, like they bred in my tank Uh and in that like moment I was hooked. And then, um, I looked at like, well, what are like the most challenging things? It's like collecting Pokemon cards, right? (laughs) Like what is the rarest and coolest thing? At the time it was called crystal red shrimps. Yeah. And, um, there were, at least relatively speaking, there were very few people in the U S breeding them and, and selling them. Most of it was imported. And so um, I, you know, uh, had my first job at the time. And so um, I was like, okay, I have a few bucks to throw around. So I bought like my first crystal red shrimp and I tried to breed them and I read everything from like page one to page 10 of Google Uh and kind of noted down anything that, you know, occurred more than twice and try to like follow it to the T. 
because even like 50 bucks to me at the time was like a lot of money and that's yeah. how much it cost it like yeah, to get yeah. five shrimps right. you know? 10 bucks each yeah 10 bucks each and so i was really careful with it and it worked out a few months later i had some baby shrimps and then it just kind of compounded from there i got one tank and then i got uh and then at the same time my sister like bought a house and with like a massive garage i think you've been there yeah yeah, yeah you've been there and uh, I set up probably at my peak, probably like 14 or 15 tanks in my garage. And uh, most of them were breeding different types of shrimp. And uh, I remember the first time that I had those baby shrimps, I posted it on aquabit.com Friday, yeah, Friday afternoon and for sale just to, just to see if I could recoup my investment, uh -huh. right? And all of them sold um, within... Uh, so each batch, you get like 30 babies, right? Like 25 <laughs> maybe will survive. And uh, so I listed like 20 of them for sale. And uh, all of them sold. And uh, it cleared like over $1,000. Um, <laughs> that was Sunday night I checked and all of them sold. And so I just, you know, started packing them up and, and selling them. And I think that's probably the time when I shared that with you. And you and you realize, man, this is like printing money. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was. It literally Basically. was at the time. Yeah. 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 So you, uh, for the audience out there, don't worry. We're going to get into this a little bit. But uh, we're going to talk to Kevin about two of his passions. One of them is aquatics and aquaculture. And yeah. the other one is startups and entrepreneurship. So you can see... At age 14, you can see the gears turning in Kevin's head a little bit. Like, man, if I, if I could scale this up, or you're just starting to think about how to make a, make a business out of this as a teenager. Yeah. And so in high school, you do a little more of this. We do a little bit at school. Not very successfully, but we, we do a little bit at school. And then you graduate, and you go to San Diego. And how long did it take you to set up the aquariums in your apartment? Was that like first week you started to set up the business down in San Diego? <laughs> Yeah, so actually I had some hesitancy like before I went to college, like like do I even want to go to college cuz um at or maybe just go to I lived so my sister's house was like a 15 minute walk from uh City College and uh, I was like, oh, I could just go to community college, keep doing this thing." It was doing pretty darn well. Yeah. Uh, at least like for, for an 18 year old, for 18 -year -old yeah. it was doing very very well. And um, so I seriously considered that, but I, I don't know, internally in my guts, like I knew, you know, going to college is probably the right thing to like expose myself to a different environment. And so like I got into literally the school that I wanted to go to in San Diego. It's so beautiful you know, yeah, <laughs> in yeah. La Jolla. Um, so I went to UCSD um, and uh, actually the first year I really didn't do much. I was just hanging out, screwing around. <laughs> enjoyed the college life actually yeah, the, the courses man. were uh really challenging for me. um it wasn't until i went to college that i realized how like underprepared i was <laughs> for college and um so i was really focused on like really struggling to get b's um in school uh my first year of college and then and i like did decent in high school too yeah, yeah. you know and so um and then my second year that was when Eric Suen um, uh, went to UCSD as well. Uh -huh. And so the plan there was um, to like move in together and like do this thing that we were doing in high school together all yeah. over again. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, we, uh, my second year, we started like, uh, we moved into an apartment together. 
Um, put we up re- some racks. <laughs> yeah, we retrofitted one of our closets, put up a couple of racks, uh, and uh, put in four fish tanks. And then I took over my um, then girlfriend, current wife's garage at the time. <laughs> she lived in a townhome and like put up multiple racks. And like we probably had, I don't know, 600 gallons of water there in her garage um, and uh, started selling uh, fish online. <laughs> so, meanwhile, this is happening. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, what's next? Or, or where where did the idea for ADI come from? Now, ADI stands for Aqua Design Innovations. Yeah. And just in a, give me an elevator pitch for ADI. It's a... Well, so what it started out as was um, all these people that were like buying shrimp from me and like trying to set up fish tanks, et cetera. So it started out as a few people here and there asking us, hey, like, how can you do this in my house, right? So it was going to individual people's homes and setting up like these aquariums for them in their homes. Mm. So that's what it started out as. And then it evolved about 10 times (laughs) to different things to like selling fish out of our closets uh, in college. And then eventually to um, the EcoCube, which um, so I was at UCSD. I was doing research at one of the largest aquaponics farms in the U.S., um, right there in San Diego and Vista. Uh, They were raising tilapia and uh, using that same water, pumping that water into a a plant bed system where they grew lettuce, a lot of leafy greens. And it was a nonprofit, but they sold to like high-end restaurants, et cetera. And through that research project, so I studied ecology, behavior, and evolution, and a lot of that was due to my experience <laughs> at Gal and with you, Mr. Shin, right, and doing right. AP Bio, and then my interest in in uh, aquariums and how to create like a sustainable ecosystem uh-huh. within an aquarium. And um, this research project came up where we were measuring the inputs and outputs of the ecosystem. And what we found was that particular system grew basically about twice the amount of plants in half the amount of space. Uh, no pesticides or fertilizers. Yeah. And this was right in the midst of the drought that we had uh, in uh-huh. California. And I was, it was just like crazy to me. Like, why are we growing food and dirt <laughs> Yeah, when we can do that? That was one revelation. The second one was what I've been doing in an aquarium has been aquaponics the whole time, except the plants grew underwater and injected CO2 into the water. But instead we can put the plants above water, give it unlimited access to CO2. Yeah. And uh, and it absorbs all the nutrients from tilapia. Um, and so the whole idea of EcoQ was to take all of that and put it into a beautiful and familiar way. Like everyone knows what an aquarium is, but no one knows what an aquaponic system is or right. very few people right, did right. at the time. Or they're huge, you know, they're like 300, ga- you know, wait, no, 3,000 gallons, you know, really, really big, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And very ugly and kind of <laughs> yeah. piecemeal together. Yeah, yeah. So with my um, backgrounds in like aquariums and at the same time, I was working for a uh, largest aquarium LED manufacturer in the US, current USA. And so I got some like manufacturing contacts and I saw like how well their business was doing. And I was like, well, I can productize this and put it into a beautiful way and compelling way. And then that was the EcoCube, which was basically a beautiful desktop aquarium that uses basil or green onions to filter the aquarium water. So you never have to change the uh, aquarium water. And as the plants grew, the water would get cleaner. 
Now, you just sketched this out on paper or, you know, the, the napkin in the garage idea or how did this come to you? you just... Yeah. So it's, um, I had a friend, a really good friend to this day, and he's actually the founder of Launchboom, which is the company oh, that I work okay, for now. Okay. And uh, his name is Tom Dodorian, and he went to UCSD as well. He was just starting out his uh, video production business called the label creative which eventually evolved into launch boom which is the company that i now work for okay and he was doing video production for uh this gentleman named drew cannoli which was like a he's very well known in the affiliate marketing and digital marketing world and he had this branded page called juicing vegetables and with like millions and millions of followers tom said hey kevin why don't you put this whole aquaponics thing into like a package and i I will get Drew to sell the crap out of it huh. um, because they're all into like sustainability and juicing vegetables, et cetera. And it was meant to be a inf info product. So mm -hmm. here's a guide on how to retrofit like, uh, you know, an aqua clear into a right. aquaponics filter or whatever. So I put together the guide and it looked really bad. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a Frankenstein, like a 10 gallon with like some pipes coming out of it. Exactly. Okay. It looked okay. really, really bad. Uh, it lacked that like sex appeal, right? Yeah. That needs to come in a product. So I it went. It had this science classroom kind of look to it, but not office. You're not going to put this on your desk at the office. Absolutely. That's exactly right. So um, I brought on a couple engineers to help me like 3D print some prototypes. And uh, then the next idea was to like, take that info products and um, turn it into like a, a prototype that functioned and looked good. And then I could take it to the company that I worked for, Current USA, license it to them and have them distribute it with Drew Cannoli, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. And you're like 20 years old at this time? Yeah, I was like 20. <laughs> okay, yeah. all right, all right. Yeah, and so I tried to do that, uh, but the, so it was a filter with a, uh, aquaponics filter with a led above the filter and so i was like yeah they're selling leds already why would they not sell like the filter with the aquarium led like it just makes sense yeah but um they were just doing so well and it was like a five-person operation running the largest you know aquarium led manufacturing uh, brand in the u.s uh -huh. and it, it didn't make sense for them to like take on this risk in a new project and invest forty thousand dollars into a mold yeah. in a product that may or may not work and they don't make tanks that's not their thing yeah yeah and they did not make aquariums either so then so now at the prototype that works is beautiful but no distribution right and so well what's the next step and then at that time kickstarter and uh -huh. indiegogo was taking off right yeah. and you saw all these like subpar products raising millions of dollars and yeah. <laughs> um, so I was like, I can do that. <laughs> so I brought in my buddy, Tom. I said, hey, you run a video agency. Like, you want to create a video for me? I'll put together everything else and let's launch this thing together. Uh -huh. So we did that. And that was the first crowdfunding campaign. We raised $83,000. It's three of you this time. It's you, Eric, and Mark? or It was, uh, no, just myself and Eric. Okay, just two of you. Okay, Yeah, just two of us. And then we paid some, like, engineers on the side to, like, help us with the three printing etc right there's just two of you basically just two of us yeah and and so we we launched it and uh it far exceeded our expectations so the goal was thirty nine thousand dollars because that was the initial estimates to pay for the molds and the initial order 
to cover the, you know, uh, all the pre-orders from Kickstarter and Indiegogo. So we ended up raising $83,000, but we ended up spending like $150,000 okay. for the tooling and, and to manufacture the product. And this was floated by family and friends or? Um, the $83,000 was the like real customers, right? Okay. That are pre-ordering. Obviously there's some fr friends and family that ordered on Kickstarter as well, but it was mostly just uh, uh, strangers that believed in the product and the vision. And of bringing aquaponics to the world. Yeah. And but how, how do you make up the difference between 150 and 80? Like, I raised money from private investors. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then a lot of credit cards as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in, in between that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it could have gone really wrong. It could have taken a real left turn there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So you got, you had a prototype. Yep. You got some cash. Yep. Well, sort of. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I had more than enough, but uh, it was about half of what I needed. Yeah. Yeah. And then now you got a manufacturer. Yeah. So how'd you do that? So uh, I interviewed a bunch of different uh, factories and manufacturers that created products in the space. I, I worked for a aquarium LED manufacturer. Right, right. right. So they made some introductions. Alibaba was a, a really great resource. I think it still is. Um, and... Uh, I asked actually, so I dwindled it down to like two uh, factories and candidates. And I um, reached out to a family friend uh, that ran a, a factory in China, a very successful one, tell me like vet these people. And I worked with these uh, manufacturers to iterate on my prototype. So that was sort of our dating phase, right? Yeah. So when you say work with them, you're on the phone or you're, you're flying to Skype. China? Skype in the very beginning. Um, that was like the preferred method of communication then. I don't even think Zoom existed yet. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was Skype and then, um, and then I did the Kickstarter and now I had the money, right? And Or at least I thought I had the money. And then I picked up my bags and flew to China to, to meet with them, and, yeah, et cetera. Yeah. So, yeah. And you're doing all this in Mandarin? You're just going off of your... Language skills that you have from high school. <laughs> <laughs> so I thank my parents still every single day for forcing me to go to Chinese school every weekend for 12 years. Yeah. No, I had a translator with me okay. um, most of the time and mainly because... You don't so, want to get anything wrong. <laughs> well, I don't want to get anything wrong. And I noticed that when I try to speak Chinese, they would look down at me because I spoke like a eight-year-old, <laughs> you know? Like uh. I'm pretty good for the first three to five minutes. Yeah. And then when you get into the manufacturing terms, et cetera, um, that was when like they they realized, or I talked like a kid basically. Yeah. Uh. Um, and so even when my Chinese got a lot better, um, like years into manufacturing and I spent six months cumulatively in China, et cetera, I still had a translator with me uh -huh. um, when I was talking to new people. Now, Jasmine, our main contact at... Um, uh, at the EcoQ final assembling uh, plants, um, I would speak to her at Mandarin, and she taught me a bunch of Mandarin. Uh -huh. and that's how like, I improved my Chinese. Yeah. And whining and dining, you can talk about the weather and the food well, and stuff. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, when it comes down to the millimeters and you know nano things here and there, you got to... Got to really get it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so cool. So how many? Well, how was? How many was the first run? You you had how many backers? You had seven hundred units was the first run. I forget the number of backers, but it was probably slightly less than that. Uh, six six hundred something probably. Yeah. Um, 
And then I rented a warehouse in San Diego, um, the smallest warehouse I could find. It was uh, uh, just shy of 600 uh, square feet and prepared for the product to come in. There were a lot of ups and downs with creating the products that I was totally oblivious to. Um, happy to dive into that too, if you would like. Yeah. <laughs> but and then the product finally came in. It came in uh, November of 2014, and I remember product arrived, and it looked beautiful. It was great. I was so proud of it. Um, I unloaded the container myself, um, <laughs> and uh, and I we took out a couple units for QC, and we found that. A, some of the units had pumps that created a rattling noise. So prior to it being assembled, all the pumps were tested in water uh, for noise and for function. Uh, but we realized that some of the pumps, when placed into the housing of the filter, would then create a slight rattling noise. And so we ended up during Thanksgiving and throughout Thanksgiving, etc., <laughs> uh, with a couple friends that were kind enough to help out um we took apart every single ecoq <laughs> tested it in water dried it out disassembled the ones that rattled uh reassembled the ones um with new pumps and then uh shipped it out and we made <laughs> it out we shipped everything out just before christmas so when was the kickstarter was that was the Kickstarter campaign was uh, November of 2013. Okay, so almost about a year, exactly. A, a year. year, yeah, to take it from. So when I had a functional prototype, I thought I was done. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I thought I was done. So it's a functional prototype. I bring it to the factory. You know, they order raw materials from one end, goes through the machines, comes out the other end, perfect. Right. That's my, that was my, right. <laughs> you know, perception <laughs> yeah. of manufacturing. Yeah. Uh, that is not the case. That uh -huh. is not the case. We ended up redesigning the entire product from mm. the ground up for manufacturing. Mm. Yeah. In China. In in China. Yeah. yeah. So you're just in hotels or? or yeah. Yeah. I was in very cheap <laughs> motels. Uh -huh. uh, some of them with broken AC in the summer, uh -huh. which was rough. Uh, yeah. And you're like, I got to get this done before fall quarter starts so I can get back <laughs> to class and stuff. And yeah, that's right. Wow. That's right. So I think at this time you were also doing some incubator work in San Diego, like hanging out with other like-minded people. Yeah. So when I said my first year I was screwing around, it wasn't necessarily true. I, you know, was pretty involved with like the, the entrepreneurial community in San Diego. I ended up, uh, helping run the largest, um, uh, pitch competition in California. It was the hundred thousand dollar, uh, entrepreneur challenge, uh, at UC San Diego. So I, I helped coordinate those events and then I was pretty plugged into that community I uh, worked with a few people to start something called Pathways Ventures, which was like an undergraduate incubator that provided funding and idea development and, um, and support uh, to people wanting to start businesses at UCSD. And it eventually became like absorbed to the Rady School of Management um, at UC <laughs> San Diego. And so, yeah, I, I was pretty involved in, in those communities and organizing those events as well. If you if you had to do it again, would you go more the business route in college, or or things just worked out doing the science, and then having the interest in business later? 
Yeah, I would say, and I say this to most people now, I would say whatever I studied in school really didn't matter. I would have chosen, if I were to do it again, I wouldn't do anything different, obviously, or honestly, because I think everything worked out really well. Right. But if uh, if I were like talking to someone else, I would say I would choose the major that is like the easiest, that consumes the least <laughs> amount of time so that you have the time to yeah. like, really do um like extracurricular like we call it extracurricular but i would say like more like hands-on things that will actually apply to after huh. you know university after college yeah. yeah and honestly i look back and like none of the things i learned in class <laughs> ever mattered but all these relationships that i built with professors yeah. with tom with drew cannoli with you know all those things is what turned into like is like i have a job now my dream job now because of that that i did yeah yeah so it's that networking it's the learning how to talk to people learning how to share a vision that kind of yeah. stuff well i i i have like this theory that's if college was just like maybe like one class right like maybe like just on life like on uh-huh. finances how to manage your finances how to file <laughs> taxes you know yeah yeah like that's worth the money, like worth the, you know, <laughs> college tuition. And then yeah. everything else should just be like socials and like projects, like maybe like trying to start a Kickstarter campaign right. or trying to um, do that research project at aquaponics farm. Right. And that that's what universities should be creating opportunities for students for. Because like, ex- aside from like a handful of people that actually became doctors, right? <laughs> no one else utilized anything that they paid for and learned in classrooms that I know of. Yeah, except for teachers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right, teachers as well. Well, you know, and that's, that's one of the, you know, we don't say this to the kids at the time in high school. Right. But, you know, high school, and, and I think undergrad for a lot too, is basically we're, we're killing time until you grow up, right? We just, <laughs> we got to keep you out of trouble. Right. Until, you know, and, you know, and at the same time, you know, we do these group projects, you do things to socialize people, people have to learn how to work together. And, but a lot of it is just waiting for you to grow up. You yeah, know? yeah. And so high school for, for a lot of it, I mean, I, I'm glad that you learned some science in high school and, and whatnot. I'm, I'm always excited when someone gets excited about science. But for 90% of the kids, what I teach is going to be forgotten. Yeah. But it, it it's a year of their life where they socialize with each other and it's a year of their life where they learned how to learn. Yeah. You know, learned if you don't know the answer, you can find the answer. You know, that yeah. kind of stuff, like you said, is is probably more valuable than, you know, the steps of the Krebs cycle or something like that, right? Exactly. Or just being disciplined to like sit down sure. to study and do things that you don't want to because like that's what you need to win the game of life, yeah. right? Because you you've taken zero business classes, yeah, or yeah. well, I, I economics don't, once. Or something. I don't remember actually. I might have taken one or two, but I don't I don't remember. But almost everything you learned about running a business, you taught yourself or YouTube or yeah, it was mostly like Google and YouTube. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they got everything now. <laughs> you yeah. want to learn how to do? You want to learn how to code? You can learn how to code. You want to learn how to open a business? You can learn how to open a business. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But but yeah, I mean, I don't want to downplay college or high school, but at the same time, you know, it, it is really, uh, speaking of incubator, right? It's a time where you're just kind of growing as a human being. You're learning about yourself. Right. You're learning how to be an adult. That yeah. Kind of stuff. Yeah. And so 
I don't know who the audiences are listening to this, but if you, it's like your current students, I would say like, you know, definitely like, especially when you're in high school, I think you have to get your grades because I think, and I'm glad I like really forced myself to sit down, even though I, I really didn't enjoy it to like uh-huh. study and yeah, yeah. at least get B's uh, in high school. Uh, because then it put me at UCSD around all these incredible people and, yeah. and all these incredible opportunities. I, I think um, it's very important to like do well in high school yeah. academically. Uh, I think sort of my hypotheses that I was talking about earlier is more toward like university and college um, being able to like focus on like having a job and like I always had a job in high school or in, in high school, but also college yeah. Um, yeah. and like organizing all these events and all these and building these relationships that I don't want to put it this way, but uh, for lack of like better, you know, terms, like uh, they're paying massive dividends, you know, 10 years and probably 60 years down the road, I expect them to. Yeah. 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 Like the way I put it is, you know, if someone comes in freshman year and says, well, I don't, I don't need biology because I want to be an artist or I don't need biology because I want to be a chef. You know, and I I just tell them, you know, you want to have options. Right. And good grades gives you options. Yes. You know, it's like, yeah, if you get into Harvard and you don't want to go, fine, don't go, you know. Yeah. But if you have those kind of grades, there's so many more opportunities for you than if you have straight D's in high school. And then all you can do is whatever minimum wage job or or trade school or whatever. But if you have good grades and at the end of high school, you realize, yeah, I do want to be a chef. That's fine. You yeah. Know? But you still have options that are open to you that you might not. Yeah. And at that age, I think I thought, and we all thought, like, we knew a lot more than we actually did, <laughs> we right? We all do, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like, it's okay to change your mind later on. And you're right. You want to give yourself the opportunity to change your mind and do different things. And I think one of the big things, too, about, like, grades in high school uh, is it just gives you confidence to know that. Hey, I'm yeah. actually a capable person and I <laughs> stack up well against my peers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's very measurable. Um, and the rest of life is uh I feel has been like less and less measurable in that way. There's money, but like there's only really like so much to money um that yeah. where you could measure like your success and your fulfillments. But like um I feel like with like good grades, I would always like walk out feeling pretty good about myself that like I force myself to have the discipline to sit down and study for the exam that I yeah. care about. Yeah. 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 Where it's kind of like, it's not always a one-to-one relationship between effort and reward, you know, but right. studying is one of those things that there's a little bit of a correlation. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like the, you know, it's not, you know, there's always the kid who says, I studied so hard. I still got a D. <laughs> you know, there's always that. But in life, it, it doesn't always work out where effort equals reward. But in, in high school, Generally, it works that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you got you got seven hundred units shipped out, and then now you're gonna order round two. Yeah, but I didn't have the money to. Okay. Right. All so because right. I already went like way over budget, yeah, yeah. raised financing from investors to like cover uh, the fulfillment credit cards to uh-huh. cover the fulfillments of the first order. Uh, but I got all this great feedback from the product. Right. Like the reason why I took a year was because like I was anal about making the product perfect perfect. and it was perfect 
And so the, we got incredible feedback from the customers and, um, and I realized there was room for improvement, um, both on the product development and manufacturing side to like save on costs. Uh, but also from the, and, and like, they're not mutually exclusive. It can be cheaper and better for the consumer. Oh, okay. And, um, so I iterated on it, made a version two, relaunched it April of 2015, uh, raised $750,000. Um, so almost 10 X, um, the initial raise and sold 7,000 units. Oh, wow. Um, and, uh, that was really the, uh, inflection points where you're uh, like okay i can do this <laughs> yeah yeah this now this is a real business yeah 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 no seven thousand over the course of a certain amount of time or it was s- just that campaign so it was about 60 days oh okay yeah wow. and so i knew that if i had inventory at that point you could sell it, more yeah i would sell a lot more yeah yeah all right so so you start bringing on some employees yeah, still not yet because with a physical products business, and this is what most people don't realize, and uh, <laughs> is uh, there's product costs, there's obviously tooling costs, and then there's um, you know, I mean, think about all the traveling to China that yeah. you get it done. It was yeah. like probably a solid like eight to twelve weeks. Yeah, and I, you know, China's relatively cheap compared to like the Bay Area, but it's still like it ends up being a couple, you know, a few thousand dollars here and there. And, um, and most of the, you know, funds raised go towards making the product. Right. So you don't end up with very much at the end of it. Like we might've like ended up with a little bit more and we were able to order some additional inventory and start selling on our own website. Yeah. Um, but yeah. You're not uh, paying yourself yet. No, <laughs> no, we're not, I'm not paying myself yet. Uh-huh. Um, I might've like, you know, uh, paid myself for rents like a thousand dollars a month or something like that yourself a meal (laughs) yeah exactly comp myself a meal uh but that was it and then which was uh crazy because at that point 2015 a lot of my friends had graduated and started getting jobs and you're working 70 hours a week (laughs) yeah making nothing Right, right right and um so you know we brought on maybe a couple like part-time employees and they were paid more than I was, you know, (laughs) and, um, to help like, you know, handle the website and, and some communication with, um, with China, et cetera. But luckily then like we had continuous revenue from our websites and that helped a lot. Yeah. 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 So, uh, walk us through the next couple of years. So you're, you're running this and then you had some other products come out. Yeah, so we basically had about one product, new product launch per year. Um, that was what was like sustainable uh, for myself and the business without, without taking away too much from the core business, which is now the e-commerce website. So we were generating sales from the e-commerce website, and then we would launch a new product. And uh, uh, there were you know quite a few new products that I'm not going to get into now, but we iterated and iterated and iterated based on customer feedback and mm. just gave them more and more of the products that they wanted. Um, and with every new product launch, our customer base would grow because we got more exposure and yeah. then our website sales would grow as a result of that. So we kind of just grew organically that way. Um, and uh, I would say the be- biggest beneficiary is probably Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, that's where you spend all your advertising dollars. Really? Yeah. Um, I think there was like a metric uh, a couple years ago. It's a little different now. But basically, like for every consumer product business that raises, I don't know, tens of millions of dollars here in the Bay Area, 
um, like Allbirds, right? That's a brand that everyone knows. Yeah, yeah. They for every million dollars that they raise from venture capital, about thirty percent of that goes to Facebook. Wow. Um, okay. That because that's how you grow visibility and get your brand in front of people and get, get to pro- people. Yeah. 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 Huh. All right, Facebook. Hear that? We're, we're shouting you out. So hopefully uh, the algorithm will hear us talking about it, put us up on on the feature page. So you're a manufacturer, you do a couple runs and you got some new products coming out. Yeah. Things were humming. Things are humming along. And what year are we in here? We're, um, let's, let's fast forward a little bit to like 2019. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we had a bunch of products out, things are humming. You know, uh, we brought on Mark, the, you know, who yeah, was yeah. another one of another your AP Gallus, Bio students. Dude. Heck yeah. <laughs> um, and he really handled a lot of the engineering and coordination with uh, China. And, you know, he was doing it part time still, right? Uh-huh. Like, uh, we, it was crazy. You know, I set out a dream to build a million dollar a year business crushed it surpassed uh, it and you still can't pay to you know <laughs> still can't afford to pay someone like a full-time engineer yeah. right um so physical products business is a tough 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 business yeah. to be in but um the revenue is there the revenue is there the profit is yeah, yeah the profit like you know you you look at so one of our the chairman of our board was um the largest he ran the largest furniture retailer on the west coast uh-huh. it's not in the bay area so most people in the bay probably haven't heard of it it's called more furniture m-o-r and he goes well it was very uh very nice and and showed me a lot of the numbers behind the business he goes well what do you think what do you think the company was doing 350 million dollars a year what do you think their profit was 350 mil 350 revenue million. yeah revenue Six thousand employees oh I don't know. Uh, ten mil. That's a pretty good guess. That's a pretty good guess. Yeah, it was about five percent. Oh wow. Yeah, about five percent. So it's <laughs> it's pretty standard in physical really? products businesses to well, if you're doing like twenty, fifteen, twenty percent, you're crushing it. Really, you're crushing it. Yeah. So um, things were things were humming. It was going, and uh, we you know crushed that million dollar mark that I was aiming for when I first started the business, um, and it. At that point, I was doing it for, I had been doing it for, you know, six, seven years, yeah, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, I got engaged to my, uh, you know, current wife uh-huh. and, uh, you know, like kids were co- in the future. And so it was like, well, like, what is the next move, right? Yeah. And, you know, it was, I felt like I'd gotten everything that I was looking for out of, ADI when I first started it, you know, the goal is to, again, get it to over a million dollars a year in sales. We like doubled that, right. Uh Um, built all these relationships had, you know, these awesome investors that, uh, are still, you know, one of them, uh, officiated my wedding, you know? All right. So uh, it was, um, it was, I had, I think, so to continue working on it, I think it would have had diminishing returns. And so, uh, we, got together, put together a plan to exit the business. Um, so we ultimately exit the business, uh, January 22nd of 2020. Uh-huh. Uh, so it was months and months in, uh, of work to, to get there. Um, and then January, uh, 26 was when COVID broke out in China or when they officially announced the, right. the breakout. There had COVID. been rumors. Yeah. Stuff. So January 26 was when, like China 
logistics, manufacture, everything fell apart. Yeah, yeah. And so um, I was very fortunate, got out just <laughs> in time, <laughs> and uh, and I took some time off, and I, uh, I've always wanted to live out of a van. Right, um, yeah, nomad life. <laughs> yeah, so I rented a van, and I drove up and down the coast for a week and uh, or 10 days, and then uh, it was... Like just to give myself, I didn't talk to anyone the whole ten days. Yeah, you know, huh. aside, aside from like, so, you know, someone checking me out at the grocery store, right? Right, right. And so I had a lot of time to myself. Was just trying to like figure out what was next, and like I just felt like overflowed with like uh, of with like gratitude for all the experiences that I had. That I got to like do all these things and travel to China a bunch. And meet all these incredible people, great partners that I still work with to this day. Like even though we don't use our manufacturer, um, there are a few companies that I advise and I work with that use her for manufacturing. Yeah, you know? yeah. And um, so um, it was really about like thinking about what the next thing was going to be. And then I went to Hawaii for a few weeks uh, with uh, my current wife, my fiance at the time, and. Um, got a little bit like more clear-minded and um i just kind of chilled for a few months and then um because of covid um the business that i now work for launch boom uh was taken off like a rocket ship huh so all these businesses are flushed with cash because of you know um uh the eidl so the i think emergency emergency loans from the okay. you know SBA that are basically free money. Yeah. And yeah. and they're still giving it out actually. And so now companies are like, well what do we do with this cash? Uh -huh. Like let's launch new products. Uh -huh. And that's what Launch Boom does. It's in the name Launch Boom. Uh -huh. And Launch Boom started out as label creative, right? Um and they created the video for my first uh first two crowdfunding campaigns. Um but after they saw how lucrative crowdfunding was they pivoted their entire business uh, into crowdfunding after. Mm. So remember in 2015, I said that was like sort of the inflection point right, of, right. of EcoCube and ADI. Uh, it was also the inflection point for LaunchBoom um, uh. because after that campaign, I literally had you know one person every single week hitting me up, asking me like, hey, who helped you? Who will can help me, et cetera? Yeah. And I sent them all to LaunchBoom. And so- or it was again label creative at the time, and then they rebranded the company to Launch Boom and focused exclusively on launching crowdfunding campaigns. Yeah, and now they're the largest crowdfunding agency in the world. Um, and uh, every you know company looking to launch a product through crowdfunding, they contact Launch Boom. Yeah, and um, so so even like two dudes in the garage. Like with an idea can go to launch boom or they can go to launch boom um but most of the people that launch boom works with are established business a little further and, along. And, and fund it yeah <laughs> okay, okay yeah just because there's like for a company like launch boom there are upfront costs sure. right like we have 60 people on payroll um to help people just on that so most like two dudes in a garage unless they you know had prior business experience or funding etc they wouldn't work with yeah. launch boom so um so that's uh so opportunity came up at Launchboom and I was really, really great friends with the executive team and 
um, the company was growing like crazy. I think in the beginning of 2020, they had 20 something people. And by the end of the year, we had 60. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, I came on and became the product launch director at LaunchBoom. So I oversee about uh, 60% of all product launches. And um, and uh, I work with clients that I, you know, like, like myself a few yeah, years ago yeah. uh, to give them a little bit foresight into like uh-huh. the hell that they might be walking into <laughs> with manufacturing, right. logistics. I mean, we shipped to 36 countries all over the world. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I... I sort of categorize my experience with ADI and EgoQ into three hundred thousand dollar mistakes: uh, one in manufacturing, one in fulfillment, uh-huh. and the third one in sales. Uh-huh. So sales and marketing. Um, so yeah, um, now I'm able to like leverage all the. Ex- I feel like all my experiences leading up until this yeah. point has prepared me for this huh. role that uh-huh. I'm in. So that's my job now, my role now. I. Um, I put together strategic plans with different businesses uh-huh. um, to help them launch uh, new products successfully through crowdfunding. Yeah. Is it as fun as doing your own thing? Or? Oh, it's more fun. Is it? Well, because you, yeah, you, well, you get to do all the stuff and talk about all the stuff <laughs> and other people are doing the work. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's like you have 60 companies, you know. That yeah, you're exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. It's honestly like my dream job. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I couldn't have imagined things working out any better. Yeah, and it's like you, you can't you can't write a resume, you know, to to tailor it for that. You know, you had to live it. You had to. You couldn't just go and and say, "Oh, I, this is you know, in high school, this is what I'm going to do to get here." You right. Had no idea how to get there, right? And you just no, had to do it. Yeah, zero idea. And uh, for everyone listening that like hasn't heard that uh, Steve Jobs um, commencement speech highly highly recommend it still gets me all juiced up and um you know one of the things he says is like only in hindsight can you see can you connect the dots right right? it's very hard to connect the dots moving forward yeah and honestly most of the like paths where you can connect the dots moving forward it is so overly saturated already there's um because everyone already knows about it right like we can talk about um you know becoming a doctor, becoming a lawyer, becoming an accountant, et cetera. They're so saturated that uh, the industries don't necessarily need to fight for talents. Yeah. Because so many people are pursuing that path. Hey, if you don't work out, fine. I have the I have 20 other grads coming yeah. this way. And so you tend to have much less upside right. uh, in those in those career paths. But the path less traveled is the one, yeah. Absolutely. And like... Uh-huh the path less traveled and you might go, well, what is that? Well, just like do the next thing that presents itself to you. you yeah. Know? How do you, how do you feel about failure? I mean, you work with a lot of people. I'm sure some of them fail. Oh I mean, Yeah. I yeah. mean, is that is that something that is just part of the business and you don't be afraid of it and just work your way through it? Yeah, so there's like a smart way to fail, right? For sure. Like failure is imminent. Like right. it's, uh, but the key is to not fail twice and like to fail cheap and fast, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. And, or not fail twice in the same mistake, I should say. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. in terms of, um, 
failing cheap and fast, that's what's like launch boom does. Um, so we have this whole program called test boom, where we, for even the largest brands in the world that you and I would both recognize, we have this thing called test boom and we spend a $2,500 test advertising budget to test and validate and mitigate risk and isolate different variables like uh-huh. images, headlines, price points, et cetera. Yeah to get you to a point where you can see the data and go, okay, well, do I want to put more than 2,500 right. bucks in budget behind it? Knowing that most of it will fail. <laughs> or, or or that there's room for improvement. Uh, like, yeah. hey, you don't have enough margin to scale this product, uh-huh. right? So you need to fix your margins and have higher gross profit margins to cover the cost of operating this business unit, as an example. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, it gives you, or like this audience isn't a good fit or this product isn't a good fit for this audience. And we're able to like, you know, back to like the Facebook advertising thing. It's such an incredible tool. Um, we're able to, you know, get a product in front of tens of thousands of people for 2,500 bucks. Yeah. So what I tell people like is what we do at LaunchBoom is we take focus groups to the 21st century, right? Because the, like a lot of our, larger clients they pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for these agencies to like put together a focus group right you know to talk about their product and tell well what we do is we put out the product as if it was done even if it's not and we ask them do you want to we educate them about the product we send them email sequences etc and then we ask them are you willing to give us your credit card information in one dollar to reserve this product at a discounted price. Hmm. And if there, and we see enough of those, then it means there's something real special. Proof of there. concept. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's all about like mitigating your risk so that if all your, your downside is capped at 2,500 bucks, everything else is upside. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and this isn't just for advertising and finding product market fits. It's like, I look at the same thing for like making investments and um, the companies that I work with and I advise, um, it's the same principle that comes up over and over again. And I think I sort of applied the same thing for my career as well. You know, like what was the downside in like starting this EcoCube thing? Well, the downside is like a public failure, but the upside is I have $80,000 in funding, <laughs> from, yeah. you know, in, yeah. a, in a pre-order campaign that'll finance all my first batch of inventory and, and uh, help me learn all of this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so so working now. You yeah. have you have that ink itch to to start your own thing again, or start to build something from scratch. You still have that itch. Yeah. So I alluded to this a couple of times, but in addition to my day job, I advise three other uh, companies, and I also make investments on the side. So that, uh, and then also in my day job, I'm launching new products, right? Like every single week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, surprisingly i'm actually surprised myself i don't have a huge itch to like leave and start something on my own now like if an opportunity or when an opportunity presents itself where same thing if there's a limited downside and a huge potential upside like if there was a stellar team starting a new you know type of business and great technology I'll take that plunge any day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're still not even 30 years old. Yeah. <laughs> so you, got, you got some time to find something new. Yeah. But yeah, for now, exactly. For now, working for Launch Bloom seems, Launch Boom seems to be where you're happiest. Right yeah. Now. I, I'm extremely happy. Uh, I have a lot of autonomy. I work 100% remote. Um, like last year, uh, when, you know, 
I was telling you, Sammy, my wife, she was working in a hospital and then uh-huh. she switched over to biotech. And when she switched over to biotech, we worked remote, both of us. So we went to Hawaii for two months. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> and, I was uh, like, what's this guy doing? <laughs> we're doing it again in May, you know? Right. So like, uh, it's a good life. It's a good life. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really enjoying it. And no regrets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Well, th- you know, I... This is kind of, uh, for anyone out there, I don't know how many of you are into this, you know, listening out there, but, uh, you know, it's it's the American dream, right? Your your parents, your, your first generation, right? First generation to go to yep. college, and your parents came here with not a whole lot. Yeah. And then here you are, man, starting, starting million-dollar companies, selling million-dollar companies, and working with, you know, the next, the next great thing, right? You don't know what's going to happen, but that's, that's, that's the American dream, right? Yeah, no, it's, uh, I know Mark Cuban says this a lot, but like the American dream is definitely well and alive. And yeah. I think there's a lot of things that are wrong, um, in our country that, and in the world, obviously that we have to address, but yeah, my parents worked minimum wage jobs my whole life. Yeah, um, yeah. raising my two sisters and my, I don't even know how they did it in San Francisco. Like I have no idea how they did it. I still don't understand it. And uh, no matter how many questions I ask and how what type of math I try to do, it, do, it just doesn't add up. Somehow he had food on the table. <laughs> yeah, somehow. And yeah. Um, and like everything that we have today from like, you know, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, Facebook advertising, resources like Launchboom, AP Bio at Gal and uh, UCSD and like my parents working their butts off to like yeah. raise us like, uh, definitely all this I feel like has been a huge gift and like everything that we do and we have the privilege to do is like built on the shoulders of other people and, and giants. Right. And, yeah. and I think like there's a lot of resentment. I think I feel, um, I don't even read the news, but I feel it, yeah. <laughs> um, resentment, uh, like in the community in in on social media, certainly, for all the negatives that have happened, but I feel like the positives are very uh, rarely recognized. And so, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like you can still do whatever the heck you wants, you know, and yeah. literally. And um, I would encourage people to like, like, just really open their minds up to like beyond what are the traditional things, and like, like really figure out well what it is like that overlap of like what it is that you really enjoy and and what is you know financially viable and like yeah pursue that take take a chance yeah cap your downside but like yeah take take yeah. a chance for sure all right man it's fun talking to you yeah if i ever have an idea I'll, I'll throw it your way but i don't know you know for me i've never really this is probably the this podcast is probably the biggest thing i built from the ground up i mean that's kind of one of those guys that i don't know i just like working i just like yeah <laughs> Which I guess is fine for me. It's not for everyone, but right. you know, I've always just enjoyed working and, and seeing other people do stuff. Yeah. Well, right. you're also really, really good at your job. So, well, it's fun. <laughs> I think when you have fun doing something, it comes across. I think. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, and like you've indirectly and directly, like you know, like you fueled my passion for aquariums. Oh, you know, that was fun. sponsoring yeah. the aquarium club, driving <laughs> me around. Like what high school biology teacher drives a kid around to like well, 
plant well, you promised meetups. me we'd sell some shrimp. <laughs> I was like, ooh, really? <laughs> no, yeah. that was fun. It was good and, times. And uh, we ended up, you know, selling some crawfish. Yeah, we did. Right? <laughs> we did all right. We did all right. Yeah. <laughs> all right, man. Well, thanks for coming along, chatting with us. Uh, do you want to see any way people get in touch with you or what's the best way to um, yeah, socials? Yeah, I post not very often on Instagram. I'm at Ideas by Kevin. Uh-huh. Um, I do have a podcast as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's old, uh, but I think really great content. It's with friends of mine um, that I've done business with and and learned a lot from and mentors. It's called The Trailblazer Show. Um, so you can find that at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most of the podcast platforms. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, if you want to reach out, LinkedIn is probably the best way. All right. Cool, cool. All right, man. Thanks for coming by the pod, and we'll talk again soon. Yeah, it was awesome. Thanks, All right. Mr. Shin. Cool. Cool.